We need to sing that hymn more often. Note to, note to self. Of course, I love monarchy hymns. I'm, I'm a Celt, so I love to be depressed. But uh, they, they really open up the, the depths of, of why we worship. If you would, please turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to begin at the end of uh, verse 18 to verse uh, 26 uh, this morning and with this continued theme of uh, joy for the journey. Uh, you know, sometimes people talk about the scripture and they say, oh, we don't teach the Bible. We teach practical stuff. Man, there is nothing more practical than the truth that you will find in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I was uh, preparing this and thinking about Paul's situation and where he was. I, I was thinking about uh, uh, so many of the documentaries and books I've read about the Vietnam War experience, in particular prisoners of war. And one of the things I'd heard several times repeated by American prisoners being held in, in barbaric conditions in North Vietnamese prison camps was that they actually felt sorry for the North Vietnamese guards, even with all the abuse and everything that was going on. They actually pitied them because they knew one day they would be free and they would be back in America and enjoying all the freedoms that America has. But they were stuck here under an oppressive violent communist regime for the rest of their lives. And that caused them to be uh, to, to have pity in many ways. Well, as we look at the Apostle Paul, he has done nothing practically but suffer in terms of his circumstances for years now. He was uh, he was uh, part of a mob uh, scene in Jerusalem, was uh, incarcerated unfairly uh, in Caesarea, came upon a ship, was shipwrecked and is finally in Rome where he is under house arrest, shackled to a member of the Praetorian Guard. And yet, as you read Paul, knowing those circumstances, you see a man, though in chains, is freer than just about any other man that has ever lived on this planet, save Jesus Christ. Why? Because his hope is not in his freedom, in his prosperity, or his health, or anything else. His hope is in God. And my hope is that as we look at this passage today in Philippians chapter 1, that we are going to be like Paul and be able to express a joyful confidence in all that God has in our future prospects. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you, Lord, and just we pray, God, that you would just take our anxieties, our concern for the future, our regrets of the past, and that you would just take them upon yourself your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Let us walk with you together in this life, knowing that you care for us, knowing that you love us and knowing that uh, that we are to have the kind of faith that demonstrates trust, no matter how difficult the circumstances help us, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of this sermon of this church to take that home and make this kind of undying faith, this joy that Paul had part of our life experience as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, please turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 18b through 26. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we will look at the three components that we have here as we break down this passage. God says, the apostle Paul writes, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed that but, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to live on the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain on the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. You might find uh, your home group helps insert in your bulletin of assistance to you. We're going to look at basically three parts of this passage. We're going to see Paul's devotion to the glory of Christ in verses 18b through 21. Then we're going to see Paul's dilemma, life or death, in verses 22 through 24. And Paul's decision to live and to serve in verses 25 through 26. First of all, uh, Paul's uh, devotion. One reason why, and, and we're going to have several uh, joy tips as we go throughout this whole series. But one reason why Paul can just have this contagious joy, we hope it's contagious, is that, that he was devoted to Christ. And because of that, whatever came his way, he saw opportunity in it, not an opportunity to be dismayed here. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a Praetorian guard. He has absolutely no privacy. He is, is able to receive uh, people coming and going. But we just learned from last Lord's Day sermon that he is rejoicing in the fact that this Praetorian guard, some of them are being converted. And they're taking this gospel, this good news that they, they keep hearing Paul talk about all the time and writing about and everything else. They're taking that even into Caesar's household. So the goal of reaching Rome for Jesus Christ is actually happening from in, inside the imperial palace. That would not have happened if Paul had not been thrown in jail. He sees that. He connects those dots. So he, he's, he starts off here saying he will rejoice. He will rejoice. He is not going to let uh, the, uh, the bad motives of some of the preachers in Rome, as we learned about last week, uh, get him down. He is not going to uh, let the, the, the potential anxiety of standing before Caesar. Can you imagine standing before Caesar and having to defend your cause? He's not going to let that get him down. He says, yes, I will rejoice. And he says, for I know that you, through your prayers, the help of the spirit of Jesus will turn out for my deliverance here. Now, what's interesting about this? And I checked, I think, six or seven different commentaries and all the reform commentaries were universal in this approach. That word deliverance that's translated deliverance in your translation is actually the word that is most often translated salvation. So he's probably using that word, and it probably would have been better translated salvation because what he's doing here is he's actually quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek, uh, the Greek version of the Old Testament from Job, where Job is saying that he's going to stand before God and make his defense for God, and this also will be my salvation. And Paul seems to be quoting that Old Testament text. So what he's saying here, hey, if I get released from jail, I'm delivered, saved. If I get killed, I'm delivered, saved. It fits both ways, and that's one reason why he can be so joyful, because whatever the future has for him, it's a win. It's a win, and it always is for a Christian. What's the worst that someone can go through? Death. And for the Christian, that's a game. What's the, what's the, or maybe what's the worst somebody can go through? Continued in life. That is also a game, because God's not done with you yet. He's not finished with your ministry. 
As Sinclair Ferguson said, he is clearly thinking himself as being vindicated before the judgment of God rather than before a human tribunal. So he's got this joy is the source of his commitment to this one supreme goal of desiring that uh, that he is going to glorify God, whether through life or through death. And he says here he recognizes two agencies for this deliverance, uh, this eventual deliverance or salvation. First of all, your prayers, your prayers, Paul understood, as James did, that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Isn't it interesting? I mean, if there was ever a Christian that had their act together, it, well, it's some of you, but I'm thinking of Paul. Uh, Paul. Paul had his act together. You're thinking, here's a guy who probably doesn't need my prayers. Paul is saying, please pray for me. I beg you, pr- pray for me. Because he understands the power of prayer. He knows that God works through the prayers of the saints. Don't ever get bored of prayer. Don't ever think it's just a a useless utterance. It is an absolute essential. You are taking on the very gates of hell itself. If it didn't matter, the Apostle Paul would not be asking for it. So the prayers, the other one is the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, That idea of help miraculously might be surprised. Uh, Most of the commentators believe that he's talking here about the Holy Spirit. Help from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, is within uh, the person of every believer. That's actually how it is that you can come to Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in, converts you, and then you, then you, uh, then you desire to follow him. And, and it kind of goes back to some of the teaching of Jesus Christ. This, this paraclete, this assistant, this aid, this comforter that would come to the church after the day of Pentecost that would make all the difference in the world in your individual life and into the growth and the expansion of the gospel. Uh, Jesus himself said, do not worry about how or what you will say uh, when you are standing before kings and authority on my account, for it will be given you at that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it's the spirit of the Father who speaks in you. So, you know, we think about how am I going to defend myself? If, if, if you need help, God's spirit is going to help you defend yourself or to be able to take it on the chin if that's not necessary. By the way, for you teachers, this is not an excuse for lazy preparation. And I've heard pastors say that, oh, yeah, I just throw something together on a Saturday night because the Holy Spirit will give me. I'm thinking, I'm actually sure the Holy Spirit's in residence on that one. (laughs) You know, you got to prepare. You really need to spend some time in preparing for your studies. But there are times when it doesn't happen and God will come through. He will come through. In particular, he's talking about a court case here. And, of course, that's probably what's forefront of Paul as well. But he says here. We do not pray how we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, You know that to be true, don't you? From Romans chapter 8. There's just this, we can't hardly put together all the things we feel, but we have this sense we're still connected with God because the Spirit within us is praying, is interceding on our behalf. He takes our pathetic little silly words sometimes and he turns them into a fragrant aroma, well-pleasing to God. It's kind of like how, you know, you've got a five-year-old that draws a, a, a picture of, um, of you, you know, and they, they, they think it's a compliment, but it looks like a fried egg with sticks sticking out of it, right? It's like the Holy Spirit takes that and turns it into a Rembrandt and presents it to God. That's what the Spirit does. Paul needs that help. He says, he, and he also is a spirit of power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. As I pulled Clementine, the, uh, the queen of all hybrids, uh, into the back parking lot today, I was here a little early. 
and uh, the parking lot was mostly in, uh, uh, emptied because of J uh, Jack, who, Jack who's not slept since, I think, uh, June, uh, because he's been in class and has been pulling, you know, teaching and that kind of thing. But Jack's car was there, and I was looking at the, the building, and I remember the meeting. Some of you were there. Remember the meeting that we first had 12 years ago in that back parking lot? We had all the chairs again, and we just prayed, God, give it. If you want us to have this building, if you want us to have a presence on Main Street in Anderson, give us this building. And I was looking at that, and I was thinking how far we've come in these 16 years. And, but the thought hit me, and every bit of it has been from God. There's not an ounce that we, we got because we're just clever. God has blessed this church because he has given us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is fulfilling the Great Commission uh, in our own town. So Paul, who, who had massive confidence. You know, you just, when you read Paul, you don't think, that guy's insecure. I mean, he just had massive, massive confidence. And yet, there's not a hint of self-confidence. There's not a hint of self-sufficiency. He's looking to these Philippians, these, this new church of former pagans that started off with a jailer and a businesswoman and says, I need your prayers. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. How do you say no to that, right? That ought to, that ought to re revive our desire to pray. Paul's confidence was in the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he tells Timothy when he's back in a Roman dungeon, this time he knows he's going to die. He's under Nero. Uh, he tells Timothy, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He is looking, he is looking to be beheaded and he is just as full of joy and just as full of hope. Why? Because God has said, I'm going to save you. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're going to be saved. He goes on to say, as is my eager expectation, hope that I will not be ashamed. This this, this earnest expectation, this eager, uh, eagerness that is mentioned here, it, uh, the, the literal term is to stretch the neck forward. You know how like, you know, uh, have you ever taken your children to a, your, a Christmas parade and then the word comes kind of waving down. Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. And they're like, where's Santa Claus? Where's Santa Claus? Where's Santa Claus? Uh, I may have opened up a can of worms on that one. But anyway, they, they, they can't wait. Or the birthday cake, you know, happy birthday. And you're, they're looking around, look for the cake. That's what Paul is doing for de death. His eager expectation. He's going to see, either see Christ or he's going to continue in full ministry. But either one of them, I am eagerly expecting because he knows God is down there and God is in the trial and the tribulation that he is currently in. But he has this hope. Hope, of course, is not like I hope we have pizza for dinner. Hope is a, a certain confidence that God is going to come through on his, on his promises here. Uh, and that he knows that either whether by life or by death, um, that this salvation, this deliverance is going to come. I like what one commentator says here. God is the God. Uh, God is God and has underwritten the future. There's there's nothing in your life, either Monday or 14 years from now or 40 years from now, that is not part of God's plan for you. So we should be able to go in confidence in him, even the difficulties. So the petty, envious preachers are not going to succeed. He's not going to be ashamed because they're monking up the gospel with their bad motives. And he's not going to be ashamed as he stands before Caesar and gives the defense of his life. And he's up for a capital crime here. He could be beheaded here. 
Both Paul and Peter appealed to Isaiah chapter 28 when they're saying that Christ is the cornerstone that God would set up in Zion. And, he's, and they both say this, or Isaiah says this, and Paul and Peter, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, this is important for us to remember right now because, you know, we've often thought of the, the Asian countries as being shame cultures, how they shame people into doing things. Uh, our culture is becoming more and more a shame culture. They want to shame you for taking up a stand for righteousness, for being for the family uh, by being unloving and uncaring and intolerant and that kind of thing. They want to shame you to do certain things. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, if, if you're in sin, repent. But there's no reason for us to be shamed of Christ Jesus or for anything that he taught or that anything that the Bible taught. There is absolutely no reason we will not be put to shame. And even if it seems like that, guess what? When the Lord comes back, you're going to be vindicated. You're going to be vindicated. And all those people who put you down, who made fun of you, who tried to shame you, are going to be there when the Lord himself says, well done, good and faithful servant. And some of that's going to come because you took a, st a stand for an unpopular view in our culture because you took a stand for God. You will not be put to shame. He's got a holy confidence here, and this is the kind of confidence we want to have. He says, but that with full uh, courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Isn't that interesting? He's not, he never complains about the chafing on his, on his cuffs. He doesn't complain about the, the food. He doesn't complain about the weather. He doesn't complain. It, it's just like his consuming interest is that God's glorified my life. And that's really, if, you, if, you're, if you're behaving yourself, isn't that what you want more than anything? God, I just want to glorify you. I want to do the right thing all the time. And I just disappoint you all the time. But let me learn from that and let me, let me move on. Also, prison epistles, he wrote the Ephesians and the Colossian churches at the same time. Ephesians chapter 6 says, pray on my behalf. And it's with the same theme here, that the utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, and in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. No self-pity here. He is grateful to be an ambassador in chains. Colossians 4, praying for me at the same time as well that God will open us a door for the, the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been in prison, that I may make clear the way I ought to speak. So what he's telling the Philippians here is the same thing he's telling the Ephesians and the Colossians. He says, just pray that the ministry will thrive as a result of this. That's a great perspective, isn't it? That's a great perspective. And he wants to God to be Honored in my body. You know, I love that word. Honored actually means to be made large. That God would be magnified in my body. In my body. Because he is, he is looking to, to make his body captive to the obedience of Christ. To be disciplined in all things. So that whatever happens to his body, his person, uh, would, be, would actually make God more the large. Well, I think he succeeded, right? We're reading his letter 2,000 years later in a lot of ways. Again, quote Sinclair Ferguson, he says, whenever it becomes clear that we count Christ greater than ourselves, he is honored. And here's another one of the keys for joy. Here's another one of the keys to be able to experience the kind of life the Apostle Paul had is that you are constantly looking at how can I honor Christ through my situation, through my prosperity, through my poverty, through my health, through my illness. How can I honor Christ through this? His devotion is to the glory of God, not his release. 
He sees his imprisonment as a vehicle for accomplishing this. You know, he's, he took a lesson from John the Baptist. You know that scene, John the Baptist? Is, John the Baptist has got the greatest ministry that, that uh, Israel has seen in, in hundreds of years. People are flocking to go and get baptized to him. And then one of his disciples comes up to him one day and says, Hey, hey, hey Jesus is, is baptizing more people than you are. And John, John could have thought, you know, I baptized some of those same people. And then, I, you know, I baptized him and he's going out baptizing me. But it was none of that. None of that. What did he say? He must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. There's just no room for selfish ambition in the church. Uh, our whole life ought to be devoted to glorifying God, increasing him. And that's what Paul, that's one reason why, and he's doing that. It's one reason why Paul can have so much joy. If you're missing joy, it may be because you're wallowing in self-pity because of things God's chosen not to give you. And instead of seeing that as a good, you see it as a bad. He says here, by whether by life or death, He's convinced whatever is going to happen, whether he lives or whether he dies, it's all going to work out. It's a win-win situation no matter what. And this is interesting, too, because he just, Paul just throws around death like it's nothing. But that is everybody's huge fear. The author of Hebrews chapter 2 says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Talking about Jesus. And through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. See, the reason why Paul can have this joy is, is, is he wins if he gets executed. In a sense, he holds all the cards. He has no fear of death. This is one of the signs on whether or not you're a Christian or not, by the way. Some of you are not Christians. If you fear death, you fear that you're going to be held accountable uh, by a holy God because the way you lived your life and everything, you need a Savior. You need to pray to become a Christian, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you need to follow him. For those of us who are Christians, it's not cocky to think, I'm looking forward to death. Well, look forward to I'm not. I'm not fearing death. That's actually faith. Because God is keeping his promise, your sins are forgiven, and you will pass through judgment into life. Francis Bacon says then says this, that men fear death as children fear the dark. Our, our concern is we want to die well, right? We're all going to die. We want to die well. We want to die glorifying the Lord. So the apostle reveals here uh, the, the threat of his impending death and the sorrows of living in the flesh. Uh, uh, um, are basically incapable of robbing, robbing him of his jo joy. He's like Job. We quoted Job earlier. But in Job chapter 19, I think I've used this verse for every, every grave-sized funeral that I've ever conducted because it's so marvelous. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take a stand on the earth, even my, after my skin is destroyed. Yet from my flesh I shall see God. Either way is going to be a win. Either way, God's word is going to be fulfilled in the Apostle Paul's life. Because Paul held loosely to his life. He was willing to give it up. We ought to hold loosely to everything in this life. I tell you, if you live long, long enough, you know a lot of it's going to be taken away from you anyway. So quit fighting it, right? Freely give it away if that's what God calls you to do. 
When Paul called the elders of Miletus around before he got arrested in Jerusalem, he says this, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify solemnly of the grace of God. So all these truths lead to probably the most quoted verse in all of Philippians, kind of our cornerstone verse here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, that's a very that's a very uh, succinct statement, and it's a profound statement. It's a life statement, um, and it's a it's a great bumper sticker, right? Because it's so short, but it's to the point. But actually, it's even short in the Greek. There is no verb. There is no is in the Greek. So in Paul writing to the Philippians, he said to live Christ, to die gain, to live Christ, die gain. That just sums up the Christian life right there. One reason why there's so many Christians that are making so little difference and are so miserable is they fight living that principle. They fight living that principle. If we were to ever to be described as a church by the outside world, what I would love for them to say is that's a group of people who take Christ seriously. Take them seriously enough, it affects their pocketbook, it affects their time, it affects their relationships, it affects the way their house is decorated. You fill in the blank. It affects what they read, it affects how they, they, they perform as, uh, as employees, as employers. Well, that group of people takes Christ seriously. Why? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Both are blessings. Both give an opportunity for joy. There's a single-minded devotion to Christ here that, again, is, the, is one of the hints on how we have a joy-filled life. We don't let the weather get us down. We don't get that all the, the traffic uh, irritate us. We walk in joy. And it's so counter to the world. You know, the, there's that old expression, the one who dies with the most toys wins. You know, there really is a, an indictment against materialism in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, but, uh, by the way, I, I've never seen an open casket with a toy inside of it you, you don't take it with you you don't take anything with you you ne came naked into the world you leave naked out of the world Kent Hughes and this is nothing new Kent Hughes uh, quotes uh, says that in the ruins of ancient Carthage there was an inscription carved by a Roman soldier that says this to laugh to hunt to bathe to game ah that is life I find it humorous included bathing in there, but they mean the Roman baths, like hanging out, you know, in the Roman baths. To laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game, that is life. Wow. Wow, that's kind of sad, isn't it? Because all those things are going to be passing. God loves you enough also to make you miserable when you pursue a life that's defined by all of those things. Now, it's not that you don't have, there's lot, God gives us lots of things to enjoy. Hunting would have been a big one. Laugh. You know, I love to laugh. You know, and every now and then I love making people laugh. Uh, those are all good things. Those are all sweet pleasures. As, as the Puritans say, they, 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 they're things God graces us with to sweeten our passage to the next life. But to put our hope in that. If I put my hope in every time I think I'm funny and you don't, I would be hospitalized, right? Yeah. If you put your hope in, or, or every time I've gone hunting and don't shoot anything, my great fishing stories mostly have to do with releasing bait. How, how many crick, crickets were spared on this, right? We don't put our hope in those things, right? Because you never know how it's going to go. You never know how it's going to go. I never forget, uh, we were hunting, actually, um, in a place that you all know and love. 
And uh, I was there with daughter Meg, and Meg had fallen asleep because it's unreasonable for any parent to expect their child to be up at 5 in the morning. And uh, we, we had the spot. We knew there, there was a big buck in the area, and I was sitting here with this wonderful gun that the women of the church gave me that has been highly coveted by everybody who's ever come and work on the house. And, uh, and, and I was sitting there and everything, and, and I could hear it. Okay, that's my impression of a buck walking through. And then a crow goes, Arr. That's my impression of a crow. And Meg wakes up and goes, is that a buck? <laughs> and then I heard. Those were remarkable sound effects. The buck was literally 15 feet from the site of my Marlin 35 caliber rifle. His head could be now in my den. But Meg thought the crow was a buck. The buck heard Meg and the buck is gone forever. Okay, I think I think one of the Worthams have eaten them. Uh, you know, that's just the wake up. So I'm glad my hope, I still love my daughter, you know, because my hope is not in hunting. Obviously an unplanned illustration. Let's move on here. Uh, but, there, but this is what it means to be a Christian, to live as Christ and to die as gain. You know that term Christian, I mean, we just throw that term around, but you know, it, it came, if you read Acts chapter 11, it, uh, in Antioch is where people, believers were first called Christians. Do you know what? Do you ever think, what does Christian mean? Do you know what Christian means? A little Christ. A little Christ. Now, it was meant as a pejorative. Oh, you know, oh yeah, they're a Christian. They're associated with that guy that was, was hung on a cross because he was a false messiah and he tried to lead a, lead a rebellion. And, and the believers said, Christian Little Christ, I'll take it. I'll take it. I can't think of a better descriptor for us than Christian. Because we are to be little Christ absorbed in everything that is Jesus. As Paul told the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. John MacArthur says this, Paul fully understood that wealth, power, influence, possessions, prestige, social standing, good health, business or professional success and all other such things are transitory. Many acknowledge that truth, but not many live as it is true. Few can say with Paul's utter sincerity to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The apostles very being was wrapped up. In his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he trusted, loved, served, witnessed for, and in every way was devoted to and depended upon Christ. His only hope, his only purpose, his only reason to live was Jesus Christ. So much of our misery comes because we're trying to straddle the world in heaven. A devotion to stuff and a devotion to God. And I would submit to you, if you just go ahead and be fully devoted to God, God's going to actually help you enjoy that stuff a whole lot more than you do now. A whole lot more than you do now. So when the world sees us, they should see a, a little Christ. And uh, to live because we are living as Christ. Now we see here Paul's dilemma. It goes a little bit faster now here. Uh, is, is whether he chooses between life or death. He says, I am, if I am to live on the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Uh, one commentator says, my body will be the theater in which God, Christ's glory is displayed. 
Our, our lives should be theaters, uh, should be little church services where the glory of Christ is displayed. He says he's hard-pressed. That means he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. It literally means to be between canyon walls. And because he's got two excellent options, to live on is to minister, which is his heart's desire, and to die is to be directly with Christ, save Christ face-to-face, and to be uh, ushered in as a victorious warrior. The, the battle is over. And his desire is to depart and be with Christ. You know what? Because he loves Christ. Now, Paul has an advantage. We haven't had. He's actually had conversations with Christ. I mean, we've had conversations with him, but they're, they're one way. They're not audible. Uh, Paul's actually seen Christ before. And he just, and the more he saw and the more he obeyed, the more he wanted, right? I, I just want to finish well. Don't you? Don't you want to finish well? Don't you want to be one of those people who've devoted their life to God? Or if they haven't, they repent and they start devoting their life to God. And when we're at the end, when we're at the end, we are there with a smile, with joy. One reason why we use the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed is it's so in your mind that hardly anything else is in your mind. It can still come out of your lips in a situation like that. He has this great desire. I love that idea of depart. That, that word is used for, uh, for taking a rope off of a ship and it leaving the harbor or for striking down tents as a soldier who is striking down a tent. Paul used that figure in, uh, in 2 Corinthians. He says, we know that this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's ready for that rope to be loosed. And to go on the journey into heaven, which is which is so fabulous. There's so little about it because I just don't think our simple minds can comprehend how wonderful heaven is going to be. I kept thinking about and you're probably thinking right now the same thing. Reapy cheap. Is that what you're thinking? It's on the top of your mind. Reapy cheap, the, the great mouse warrior in the Chronicles of Narnia and uh, at the um, the voyage of the dawn treader. There's at this end there and there's kind of this option given. Do you want to keep on going and go into Aslan's land? Do you want to die and have that gain? Or do you want to go back and help the kingdoms repair and all that stuff? Reaper chief said, I want to go into Aslan's land. He went further out and further in and he went into Aslan's land. Paul wants that as well, but he decided, no, it's better for him to say. He says, as far uh, uh, it's better to be with Christ. He uses a superlative there. Uh, and uh, and he, 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 that's really what he prefers that's really that's really the option that he wants to choose. But he but he struggles because he also recognizes here if to remain the flesh is more necessary for your glad. He is glad to give over his in a sense, his right. You almost think that God would let him do it if he wanted it that badly. But he knows that his time is not done. It's not that he thinks he's indispensable. He knows he's going to die at some point in time, but his ministry is just not done. It's not done yet. Every one of us ought to have that perspective. Because we see here this, this positive language about death. And, 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 and let me just caution y'all. This is, this is not an affirmation of suicide. Okay? You don't have a right to take your own life. That is murder. That is self-murder. Uh, it, it, it is, uh, it, it, uh, and, and I have performed funerals for people who've committed suicide. And it just leaves everybody just shocked and brokenhearted. So that is, this is not something for that. But the result of death for the Christian is gain. It's always gain it's always something we can look forward to but nothing that we hasten in and of ourselves we wait for the lord to tell us your ministry is over now some of you are thinking what ministry you know what ministry what what's god going to do with a with with a stay-at-home mom what's god going to do with a with a student and i couldn't help but think of this but but uh, y- y- y'all know we have a minister of joy right 
You know, if you don't know, uh, you'll, you'll see a name today. So Zach Brannon, Minister of Joy, waved everybody. All right. Everybody, yeah, you could come to the church twice and you would know who our Minister of Joy is, right? Well, our Minister of Joy had a little bit of a health concern here in the earlier part of the summer. And I thought, and I went to the, my knees before the Lord. I said, Lord, that man's ministry's not done. It's not done. He is an encouragement to every single one of us. Middle-aged Downs man is our ministry of joy. Why? Because he just radiates with joy. We need Zach. Zach, no more pizza. You know, <laughs> but uh, we need him. We all have our place. We all have our ministry. I love what, uh, I love what uh, one commentator says. Christians who have few gifts or are weakened by illness, or who have grown frail in old age, should pay special attention to Paul's words here. It is all too easy to feel that you are useless, even a burden to others, and to wish to be away. But there is a secret of maintaining a sweet spirit in adversity, saying, I have a glorious prospect before me when I am with Christ, but for the present, that same Christ means to help others through my presence with them, even though I can do very little things practically, very few things practically. Nevertheless, to me, to live is Christ. That needs to be our perspective, doesn't it? We see here Paul's decision here, wrapping up with verses 25 through 26. He's convinced that he, uh, he needs to be uh, remain. He's firmly persuaded, in other words. And, you know, now I don't think Paul had a word from the Lord. As, well, I don't even like using that term because it's misused so much. I don't think he had a prophetic understanding that he was going to be spared. I think he's just practically thinking he had a sense that his ministry wasn't wasn't over with. So he is convinced that he is to stay. And one reason why he can say that, now, I mean, like the, the Roman, you think we got problems with our politicians today? Try being a Roman citizen back then. Talk about corrupt. Talk about bad headline news. They were, by and large, very, very wicked people in, in many, many ways. But Paul is confident he's going he's to be delivered. He's going to be saved. He's going to appear before the tribunal. Everything's going to be fine. He's going to be able to join with the Philippians again. You know why? Paul knew Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You know, that's another thing that we need, especially these days, because it is Washington is a nightmare in terms of attacking those very principles that made our country a great, a great nation. And you all need to be actively involved. You all need to go out and vote. But you need to remember in November, the day after election, the, the election is like a channel of water in God's hands. He's going to pour it whichever, however way he wants it. Now, we keep thinking, yeah, he, he really wants a conservative. <laughs> I have found that not to always be the case, right? <laughs> he may want to humble us even more. He may want to make this, you know, in the South, everybody's a Christian, right? There's a church on every corner, but you know they're not. He may make it so difficult to be a Christian when you go to church, you really are a Christian. Kind of the way it is in New Jersey right now, right? You really are a Christian. You, you, it's not one of these socially acceptable things like we have down here. The king's heart is like a channel of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. He knows that it will go on for their progress so that they may have ample cause to glory in Christ. Again, the reason why he has joy is because he's consumed with God's glory. Echoing Psalm 73, whom I am in heaven but you and besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my, and my portion forever. 
The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Wow. That's a that's a that's a psalmist who really struggled with the unfairness of life before he got to that point, by the way, as we'll see next week. A.W. Pink says that when Queen Elizabeth I, who was the idol of European fashion, was dying, she turned to her lady in waiting and said, oh, my God, it's over. I have come to the end, the end, the end. She she was done. She had been made Britain one of the most powerful nations on the planet. And it was over with. And apparently she was struck with the fact that she had devoted all that to this life and not really prepared much for the next life. How different is Paul's attitude when he is to live for Christ and dying for gain? Second Corinthians five says this for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I couldn't help as I was preparing this. And I've so enjoyed the preparation for these Philippian sermons. They've been just uh, such a, a devotional blessing to me. I, I couldn't help but think if you've been at our church the first Sunday in January, we, we kind of renew a covenant vow. To serve the Lord in the coming year. It's, uh, it's uh, a New Year's revolution, a res- resolution for Christians. And, and I want to read that vow to you. Because mo- half of you, lots of you, said it in January. We'll say it again in January. But it's mid-year. Not a bad thing to renew. But listen to that vow. This is, and by the way, this is a, 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 a tradition that many Reformed churches have. We actually borrowed this from the First Presbyterian Church in Columbia. You said this, we will say this. I want you to think about this and, and, and say this because you were a little Christ. I am no, you're saying this to God. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me in doing, put me in suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely Freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. May it be so. And may the covenant which I have made here on earth be confirmed in heaven. Amen. Paul, again, writing from prison to the Colossians, said this in Colossians 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, you're a Christian, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. God is going to bless your future prospects. That's reason to joy. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to take these things to heart. We all struggle so with fears and anxieties and depressions and discouragements. That's because we listen to ourselves. We listen to the devil. We're listening to the world. Let us listen to you. And to show the kind of joy the Apostle Paul had. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.